I'm Manda, and together we're Black Compat. We're a growing community focused on diversity, inclusion, representation, conversation, and fun on Twitch. Want to be fam? For chill community vibes, Wednesday nights at 7, join BC Row for the Wednesday wind down. Friday nights, join us for Let's Plays where we explore narrative and single player campaign games. Stop by on Fridays at 7. Catch our flagship podcast, The Tribunal, live every other Sunday at 3 p.m., where we talk about issues that are important to us as Black women. Issues like representation, inclusion, diversity, and more within the video games and entertainment industries. Check our channel and social handles to find out when a new tribunal is going to drop. We've got even more content on our YouTube channel, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter handles, and our website, blackcompat.com. So join in the conversation in whatever way you like at Black and Pat. Remember, always and never or. All times are Eastern. Hello, bastards and wenches, and welcome to the PAX East 2022 one-on-one special. This is your King Baby Duck, Evan Borgo. Thank you once again for tuning in. It had been two years since I roamed the Boston Convention and Exhibition Center, I'll bet for a good reason. The time for gaming conventions had been put on hold due to the pandemic that was going on. However, with enough people being vaccinated and mandates still in effect, it appears that now is the time for gaming conventions to return. Just as Anime NYC 2021 was a successful run at a big anime con post-pandemic, PAX East 2022 did exactly the same with their incredibly helpful mandatory vaccine and mask requirements. While I did have a run-in with someone that would go on to be COVID positive a couple of days after the con, I feel like we've finally found a proper way to manage making conventions of this size safer to attend. As a whole, PAX East 2022 was interesting. I mentioned a few weeks back that the big names like Microsoft, Nintendo, Sega, Sony, and Ubisoft weren't going to be there. As such, PAX East 2022 was more of a large indie showcase with no big surprise reveals on the show floor. Because of this, it was hard trying to find that hidden gem of a video game, as just about everything there was doing something a little unique with even the most familiar of formulas. Nevertheless, it was very easy to see the games that stood out the most, be it something like a spiritual successor to an arcade classic, a horror twist on a beloved children's TV program, a very challenging and fun co-op adventure that requires real communication with your partner to solve puzzles, and even the return of a couple of gaming's lesser-known golden children. On today's podcast, you will hear 10 interviews with developers and publishers, ranging from familiar names like Devolver and Tiny Build to newcomers like DreadXP and Thunderful Gaming. We are also going to check in with an old friend as they chat about what's new in the Geek Chic Thread department. So plug in and play as the Boston Bash Brigade takes you to the floors of the BCEC for our PAX East 2022 one-on-one special.
The Tiny Build Carnival has returned here at Penny Arcade Expo 2022, and I'm here with the founder of Tiny Build, Alex. And I think this is actually the first time we've actually met face-to-face, -face because you used to send me a ton of emails back in the day. Yeah, I mean, uh, we, we started out, everyone was doing everything right, and then 10 years later, we're, we have professionals doing an actual job, and I get to sit down and chat with, uh, with interesting people here. Yeah, so, first of all, welcome to B3 Crew. How has, oh, the PAXIS has just started. How does it feel to be back at this after two years of having no PAX? You know, to me it feels really interesting because um, it's actually been three years for me because uh, I, I had to skip uh, the uh, PAXIS that was two years ago, mm -hmm. right? And many of our people did come here. So it's really interesting to be back. And uh, to me, it felt like it was important to give this, like, feel-good atmosphere, right? That's why we themed it as a carnival. Because you don't expect to have a full-on carnival at the Penny Arcade Expo. And it's kind of like family fun, hanging out. And it's not just about, like, you know, obviously we want to, to get some exposure for our games. But it's also about having a great time, first and foremost. And that's what we try to achieve here. Absolutely. So one, I think it's one of the booths that always stands out the most because you bring such a unique environment uh, every time you bring Tide Build over here to PAX East. Yeah, that, that was always the goal, and uh, personally I'm just a fan of uh, when uh, I lived in Europe, uh, there are these carnivals that uh, always, like, every few months pop into your small town, and that feeling of just being able to go out and have fun, I want to merge that with video games. So let's talk about some of the games that you've been showcasing here at PAX East. The first game I got to try out was one called Justice Sucks. And I noticed the name um, Samurai Punk, who I believe did the American Dream VR, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yeah, so it's uh, the same team indeed. Uh, Justice Sucks is essentially a game about a killer Roomba robot. <laughs> That's the best way to describe it. And uh, it's one of our new additions. Uh, we continue to expand the portfolio in general. And uh, this is uh, the announcement week of that game and also the first kind of public playtest. So we're excited to see how people perceive it. And essentially, you know, if you were playing Metal Gear Solid, but you were a Roomba. You actually have, literally, the hero of the game in a cage right by the demo. Yeah, we, we actually got like a physical Roomba robot uh, and then uh, built like a skin around it. Uh, and it's mopping up a crime scene within uh, like a little cage there. That's right. uh, really interesting. You're right, so the, the bestest of the game is uh, you are the little robot. You're trying to keep the criminals from stealing all the money. Um, it, what I find great is the fact that you have to suck up the weapons take out the enemies with them, and once you knock them out enough times, you can uh, suck them up yourself and then chop them up into little pieces of meat of sorts. Oh, no, it's not that gruesome. They're totally fine in there. You know, no one dies. And, you know, it's kind of like uh, when you play Among Us and then you realize that it's a game about murder. Yeah. <laughs> but it's all cute, so it's fine. <laughs> so what, what drew you to Justice Sucks initially when you first saw it being a... Uh, Deal, demo for you for the first time. Well, uh, when the devs uh, approached us, we we're like, okay, it's, it's it's a game about a killer, you know, vacuum cleaner. So that's already interesting, right? And for a lot of our games, it was always about like, how do you make sure that uh, in this oversaturated informational world, you always can stand out, right? And just having that really short pitch, it's it's one of the things that we look for in any game. Absolutely. And of course, right now, too, you're also continuing to show off uh, Ramen, uh, which is a very fun multiplayer game. Yeah, Ramen. A very fun multiplayer game. How has Ramen evolved these last couple of years? Yeah, so Ramen started out as more of a traditional uh, multiplayer uh, match-based 
you know, soup slinging game, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Uh, it has evolved into more. Uh, what we're showcasing here is our tournament mode, uh, where we um, what we do is we cycle through game modes. Essentially, we start out with uh, eight players, and then we cycle through several game modes, and then we end up in a Battle Royale-style, uh, last-person-standing-style game. So the game has been evolving in both game design, and both visuals, and in its structure as a whole. Hmm. So, has there been a release date made officially yet for Roman? Because when we guys are here at 2020, there has yet been an announced a release date of sorts. There is no release date yet, but right now uh, we are doing sign-ups on the Epic Game Store for the beta of Roman, so everyone should sign up and check it out. Now, of course, you're also showcasing for the first time this brand new mystery game. First time showing it at PAX East. Tell us a little bit about this mysterious title. So, uh, the mysterious title is called Asteragus. Uh, it's an RPG, I want to say, I want to say Souls-like, but this is Souls-like-ish RPG. Uh, we're showcasing this for the first time. I believe the announcement is going out like within an hour uh, from now. Uh, I think you should try it and... Uh, make the decision for yourself uh, if you like it or not because this is one of our most uh, biggest budget games so we're essentially going up from you know like the smaller indie uh, tiles uh, to more double A level tiles right Uh, when I play the game the best way I could describe it is Breath of the Wild meets Monster Hunter well, you said not me, right? Uh, I, I just feel it's kind of bad if I go like, oh, it's like Zelda and that, right, that, right, 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 right. Uh, but uh, you're right that the inspiration is uh, similar, right? Um, it's it's uh, it's a little bit of both, um, and we're trying to combine it in a really interesting way. And it's also it seemed that uh, we have never worked with before from Southeast Asia. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a region where I believe many more tiles will be coming from very, very soon. Right, and I believe I was mentioned there are former people who worked at Blizzard working on this title, and very various other AAA companies have come and formed this new developer company to create this game. Yeah, so uh, what happens in the industry in general is that uh, you know when when you work in AAA for a few years uh, and you want to start something new, you will typically go for something that looks really breathtaking and also innovates on the design. So yeah, the team consists of uh, new people and also veterans of the games industry, and I believe this is a really healthy trend to uh, essentially elevate the industry as a whole, especially in emerging regions. Absolutely, and game is. Beautiful to look at. You can just, like, I've been staring at this picture here, just <laughs> constantly spinning around, seeing the area. Very gorgeous visuals. And the gameplay is, of course, fun too. And I feel like this is the type of video game that will really drag you into this world and, uh, ex- you know, you'll want to experience everything that this game throws at you. Yeah, so this is one of our pillars to invest into, right? So uh, previously we have launched Hellpoint, which was a, essentially Dark Souls in space would be the way to describe it. And this is the next game within that filler that we're investing into for the more, you know, the core gamer, like, you know, the console gamer, uh, to make sure that uh, you have, you know, something for that. And we're complementing that in the portfolio with a lot of other titles, like, you know, Justice Sucks, which is more appealing to a wider audience. Or we have Potion Craft, which is actually like a very meditating, like, you know, really chill game. And uh, if you saw the booth here, we have like, you know, this little sea area where people just sit down and chill. Right? So we really want to have uh, enough entertainment, enough interactive entertainment for the whole family at Tiny Build. Right, not to mention, you want to showcase a plethora of different sort of video games, not just hack and slash, not just the adventure in itself. You want to, you want to show people that there are also video games that are meant to help you relax while you play, and I feel like Potion Craft is a great example of that. 
Yeah, we've actually seen a lot of uh, interesting feedback from PotionCraft where people will spend like 15 hours on average in it. And that, that's insane. And it just means that, you know, uh, mixing potions together is, is a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. It's also, you know, therapeutic, euphoric, it helps you clear your mind. It's, it's, a, it, it's, it's a type of video game I feel like a lot more developers need to, like, focus on. Because video games shouldn't just be about the action stuff. It should also be about common oneself, too. Well, you see, it's it's very difficult to um, innovate when there is no reference point, right? Uh, because in, in the example of PotionCraft, uh, we didn't know what the core game was. We knew that it's very soothing to mix those potions together, right? How do you wrap that into a game that feels rewarding, that has a story, that has a really good core game look, where you feel like you're progressing? That was a question, and we didn't know the answer until, well, like way deep into development. And of course, you're also showing off, I believe, the next chapter in the Hello Neighbor series, Hello Neighbor 2. How has that series evolved ever since, not just the first game, but all the prequels and spin-offs that it has greatly uh, brought to our fruition? Yeah, so Hello Neighbor was uh, really our breakout hit uh, in 2017. Uh, it's It spawned a prequel, a multiplayer spin-off called Secret Neighbor, then a user-generated content game called Hello Engineer, and now finally Hello Neighbor 2. And the way to think about it is that uh, we've built this world, this universe, where there is an overarching story, and Hello Neighbor 2 is a uh, vital stepping stone into what is actually happening in Ravenbrooks, and that will tie into the animated series that we're also working on. Oh, okay, I did not... I, I remember briefly about the animated series. So, if you don't mind, like, what will the animated series be focused on regarding Hello Neighbor? So the animated series uh, is focused on the kids uh, in Raven Brooks and uh, how they are extremely suspicious of what Mr. Pearson, the neighbor, is doing. And um, it's if I was to compare it with something, it would be kind of like Gravity Falls meets The X-Files. Uh, we're doing something very different in terms of uh, we don't have any network interference. Uh, we're doing it fully alone, fully independently, and we're writing it in a way that uh, we believe it will do the, the, the franchise justice. Did you ever think to yourself when you started Tiny Bill that one day one of your games would get its own cartoon? I mean, that was the wet dream, right? I'm not sure if that's a saying, part of my English, but that was, you know, beyond any kind of expectation, and now that I get to work on animation, I get to work on video games, uh, hopefully live action at some point. Uh, and to build like really stupid bright booths at Penny Arcade, it, it's it's really living the dream in a way. If there is one game that you have had in the whole Tiny Build library that you would picture as a great live action show, which would it be and why? Uh, I think uh, at this point uh, I would say live action, it would have to be Happy's Humble Burger Farm. Uh, because uh, you can actually film it in uh, the same way that The Mandalorian was filmed, uh, with screens around you, so you don't need an expensive set for that. And also the story there, uh, knowing the lore of what's happening in it, that, that's, that's a game that everyone should check out, because it starts off as if you know what's happening, and then the deeper you go, the more layers you peel off. Alex, thank you so much for joining me here on B3Crew.com. Best of luck with the rest of Tiny Build. It's amazing to see how much you guys have grown and evolved throughout the years of PAX East since you guys started coming here. I'm always stoked to see what you guys have to show. And what I've seen here, you guys have been making some great work. And I can't wait to experience the full games when they are finally unleashed to the public. All right, thanks so much.
I'm here with Joss, the uh, creative director and mastermind behind the World War One series. He is right now showing off Isonzo, the latest, the third in the series. Welcome to B3 Crew. How are you doing today? Hi, thanks, uh, thanks for having me. I'm doing great. Uh... So tell us a little bit about, before we move on to Isonzo, let, let's talk about the inspiration behind wanting to tell the story of World War One through these video games. So they had a story all became with, uh, with me uh, when I was a 10 year old and I visited the battlefields of Verdun with uh, friends who were uh, amateur archaeologists. Uh, I was fascinated uh, ever since. Uh, uh, so uh, I wanted to do something creative with it for, for the longest time. And uh, uh, first started uh, modding uh, the old Medal of Honors in the early 2000s. And then uh, uh, from there on, uh, in 2006, uh, started to uh, uh, create a, a video game uh, together with the M2H brothers. So, so World War I kind of gets lost in a whole shuffle when it comes to video game presentation. How important was it to you to tell the story of the Great War in this fashion to gamers all over the planet? Yeah, I think uh, yeah, World War One is very unrepresented, and at, certainly at a time uh, when we started, uh, there was no uh, other uh, 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 game doing uh, first-person shooter of World War One. Uh, there have been mods before, um, but yeah, we're talking uh, to 20, uh, uh, 2013 when we started, uh, or even before that, uh, 2013 when we launched uh, for them, there was no other uh, game that, that did that. Uh, yeah, and uh, now uh, after Verdun, of course, uh, Western Front, then we went to Eastern Front in uh, in 2017, 2019 uh, with Tannenberg, and now uh, we're going to uh, Italy with uh, Isonzo uh, on the on the third game. It's really uh, really exciting uh, Italian Front. Um, yeah, the, the separate games allows us to 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 really focus on on making unique. Uh, games around the, the fighting around uh, on a certain front, so the, 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 the back and forth trench warfare on the Western Front, the uh, maneuver warfare on the Eastern Front, and the, the mountain warfare on the Italian Front really get their own unique game, really a focus. So uh, making a game specific about the Italian Front allows us to really go into the details uh, of, the, of that front and really pick the unknown battles and give them proper attention uh, and a proper representation also. Uh, that's really important to me. And I can imagine, like what you did with Verdun and Tannenberg, there must have been a lot of research done on the battles that over have over at Isonzo. Uh, what sort of things did you discover when you were trying to um, tell the proper story that you wanted to tell with Isonzo that really took you by surprise? It took me by surprise. Um, yeah, you share about um, well, the brutality and the, uh, the madness of fighting on on on, uh, on such a high altitude. Uh, we visited the area uh, last summer. Uh, yeah, if you walk around there, it's almost insane. You walk around the most beautiful scenery on the earth almost, uh, and there's the trenches dug into it. Uh, and it's, it's crazy that, that humans are they are willing to go so far, go up these these mountains so high to, to fight each other. It's uh, uh, really, uh, uh, really sobering. Uh, and I can kind of pretty much understand how sobering it is to see like sites like that, sites of beauty that hundreds of years ago, that a hundred years ago, was the site of such unfortunate carnage and all that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. We try to to do justice by that in the game. So uh, you have the beautiful landscape, but also in contrast with the grim, uh, the grim 
uh, aspect. So uh, uh, you, you got the, the, the gnarly trenches, the, the corpses, the, uh, the dead horses, etc. But then surrounded by the, the, the beautiful Alps, uh, it's really crazy. Uh, this this uh, yeah, interesting contrast between the two. Uh, when doing, when creating and making Isanzo, uh, did you pull any real stories of specific soldiers that fought in this war and fought in this specific battle? Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, there's uh, um, the famous uh, Last Year on the Plateau by uh, uh, Lucie, a uh, famous writer. Things also be made into a movie, so uh, read the book. Uh, a map has been uh, inspired by that. Uh, and of course, uh, uh, what's been written in there. Um, and uh, yeah, when, when digging up <coughs> specific battles which you wanted to do, we came across a, a story of a, a, a young lieutenant who um, heroically, in the sixth battle, went across the the, the, the Sonzo to, to capture uh, the city of Gorizia. Uh, uh, somewhat propagandistic in a way, like he captured 200 Austrians. Uh, uh, on the other hand, uh, very interesting to read certain. Sorry, we visited that specific place where in, the, uh, in a uh, railway underpass he captured the Austrians and then he, he visited the location where he forded the river and the, the train station which he captured. So it's, it, that, that makes it real, uh, uh, really interesting, uh, uh, for sure. So, besides, you know, the, the back and forth combat of Isanzo, what sort of other experiences are you hoping to showcase in the main game overall? Yeah, the game itself is... Uh, more polished than the, than the previous two, uh, and it allows for players to have more of a um, uh, non-combat role <clears throat> being represented. So uh, you're, you're able to resupply your teammates, heal them. Uh, you can build as a initiation. You can build trenches and barbed wire. Uh, the barbed wire is a bit is a important aspect of the game as a whole as each trench line you have to conquer in the, the game mode we have so game mode offensive where you push through the map uh, you have to repair and cut wire uh, and that creates an interesting uh, dynamic at each of, uh, start of each new uh, uh, push uh, through the map uh, yeah the class system is, uh, is also new uh, opportunities uh, for uh, for different play styles it's a bit more free, uh, it's a freer system than it was in the other games uh, and it allows for a better, uh, uh, yeah, for more freedom for the for the players. Yeah. On top of that, what I like about the game too is how realistic you kept it. It's not like automatic refills, not automatic uh, reloading, automatic, um, you know, capturing stuff. Like these sorts of things took time in the Great War. And I'm really happy that you were able to capture just how time-consuming these sorts of things could be, even when the enemy is like shooting down at you like right then and there yeah it's a, it's an interesting contrast here also between because on one hand our game is really intense and really fast paced also because you spawn you know uh, a few uh, yards away from your enemies in the trenches and then you're you're confronted with it but your weapon is really slow so in the trenches when you your fire you you miss your your shots uh, and you're sh slowly recharging your bolts uh, uh, that yeah that creates uh, 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 lots of tension uh, and excitement. So, uh, yeah. And so far, what you've been showcasing here at PAX East, I feel like it's been a great presentation of Isanzo. I feel like you're really keeping true to what happened there almost well over 100 years ago. Uh, how has the feedback been from the people here at PAX East who have been playing the game? Yeah, I, I think a unanimous positivity uh, almost. Uh, 
very, very positive. Uh, we get the same vibe from our beta test, which is going on right now. Uh, people have been very positive with, with what, we, what we've put forward. So, uh, uh, Do you have a set release date yet for Isanzo? Uh, looking at this summer. And uh, then uh, it's for PC, uh, old gen, and new gen uh, consoles. So. Excellent. Very good. Out of curiosity, I know you're still working on Isanzos, but have you... Um, have you thought about what could be next in the series for your World War One and video games? Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I, if it's up to me, we'll do the entire war uh, this way. So uh, um, yeah, I'll just leave it at that. So <laughs> I, I leave the fans to guess uh, what will be next. But uh, there's a few obvious candidates. Uh. Yes. Absolutely. Josh, thank you so much for joining me here. Uh, for more information on Isanzo, where can our listeners find out about it? Yeah, there's uh, yeah, there's Steam, of course, uh, isonsogame.com, worldwarseries.com uh, as well. Excellent. Josh, thank you once again. Best of luck with the rest of PAX East, and uh, good luck with the rest of the game. Yeah, thanks for having me. I won't be coming home. I won't be going anywhere. I will call this post forever. Here on the Alpine slope, where I did my final stand, I shall remain among the the snow that binds me to this mountain A force of nature too strong it takes a madman to create a game like McPixel, and I'm joined by the creator, the mad scientist, Sos Sososki, who is showing off the latest McPixel game, McPixel 3. Welcome to B3Crew.com. How are you doing today? Hey, I'm great. Thank you for stopping by at PAX to try McPixel 3. Yes, uh, so I just finished that minute. Unbelievably hilarious. So there is a lot more than just defusing a bomb this time in McPixel 3. There is so many things. you got to win races, uh, win soccer games, uh, do some Streets of Rage fighting. There's so much more you can do. So what inspired you to think more outside of the box regarding McPixel 3? Yeah, so when I was making McPixel 1, that was 10 years ago. It was one of my first game and my first big commercial game that I released. It was made for a game jam, so the first version was made in 48 hours. So I made myself this like really, really constrained rules so that I can actually finish the game in 48 hours. Like for example, kicking people in the balls. Because <laughs> I had to have like a default interaction and I didn't know how to implement text really fast. So what I would do is I would just have my picture kick people. And that's stack, right? Yep. But then all these constraints stayed for the entire of 100 levels for MacPixel 1. That was cool, making the levels, thinking how to work around these constraints and create stuff. But now I wanted, to, I wanted to come back, revisit the idea, and give it proper justice by enabling myself to create any scenario possible. So now you, it's not only stuff exploding, you have a, as I said, you have a train that goes off the tracks and falls off a cliff. You can be like a dinosaur and there's a meteor coming gonna destroy Earth and you're gonna do something to stop it. And maybe like you're on a plane and the plane falls down to the ground. Some levels have multiple stages, some levels have multiple screens, some levels have mini games, like there's a driving mini game where you have to play soccer, while yeah. when you drive a tank around and shoot things. I really wanted to have this freedom to create anything, not constrain myself and just like, I wanted this in the game, I'm gonna have it in the game. And 
it ended up in just this infinite madness. Now, I don't want you to spoil too much, but out of everything that you've done from a Pixel 3, uh, what has to be, in your opinion, the most batshit crazy thing you've made for it? You can pee on a dog. <laughs> okay, I guess that is batshit crazy. There's a, there's a Twitter that uh, tweets about games where you can pee. No, that was pet the dog. Yeah, you pet the dog, yeah. Oh, sorry, but... Yeah, so... You can pee on the dog. <laughs> you can pee on the dog. Okay. Good to know. Good to know. Now, there's a new face to the McPixel world. This Steve guy. Who is Steve and how does he fit into the McPixel lore? Alright, so McPixel, he's this wannabe save the day guy. He's just trying to save the day. Maybe he doesn't really want to, but he's just thrown into these situations doing really crazy things. But Steve, Steve is just some guy. When you find Steve, you can find Steve in different levels, in different situations. But Steve is just a normal dude and he like goes fishing and you're fishing with Steve. Sometimes he drives a car, sometimes you're cooking with Steve, sometimes he maybe summons demons. But he's not like Backpixel. But maybe he would like to be. So will there be a moment where Steve will take over for McPixel in some levels? Do you think so? Steve sucks. <laughs> I mean, he is the Michael Scott to McPixel's David Brent, so I guess you're correct about that. So you're showing up, what you're also doing here at PAX is you have exclusive levels for the convention. And tell us a little bit about some of the inspirations behind those um, exclusive levels. Oh yeah, so I added more content. There's a demo on Steam available now with MacPixel 3 that you can go and play. You can add it to your wish list. The full game will come later this year and have 100 of these levels. The demo has like 10. I have 7 extra here for PAX. And what is different also about MacPixel 3 from MacPixel is that I have levels that are thematic. So you go into a round by like getting transported back in time and suddenly MacPixel is like a, this amoeba in a zoo that <laughs> fight his way through. Or like a dinosaur or maybe like an ape finding a monolith. Or maybe you're like uh, in a medieval battle kind of setting and have to fight ogres and stuff like that. So, or maybe on the other, you're like in sports packs, you do different sports, or McPixel does a heist, and you have to do a heist to get some money. Yeah. So, things like that, and I wanted to show more for packs, so I picked some of these levels, wanted to throw them together. Now it's like a random pack, but you get to feel what the big McPixel is going to be. Absolutely. Now, uh, will these be levels be made available later on, like what you did with the previous game, and where you had exclusive ones for specific conventions? Uh, yeah, so these levels will be a part, these are taken from the full game and these are part of the full game that you can play. In MacPixel 3 takes part, uh, takes place in a city called Magburg. In a city of Magburg you walk around and discover different, uh, different areas. Also, even if you fail, you like get coins for different endings that you fulfill and then you can use those coins to unlock more levels. Okay, now I also noticed in the game too, there are moments where you are uh, infiltrating like an action movie or a sitcom are we will we see more kind of levels like that throughout mcpixel will we see mcpixel in downtown abbey for example oh there's mcpixel in space oh yes yes there's like a pack of mcpixel just gets like mcpixel in television you get different sitcoms different action sequences and at the end you have mcpixel in space that's awesome and do we have a release date for the full game yet it's it's gonna come out this year for PC and more. 
Zoss, thank you so much for joining me here on B3Crew.com. Please check out McPixel 3. Don't ask about McPixel 2. It does not exist. We went to 3 because, well, all good things come in 3s, you know? Yeah, no, there's no such thing as a good thing that comes in 2s. That's right. Come and check out McPixel 3. Add it to your on Steam. Tell your mom about it. Hey. KO the Kangaroo is back, and I am here at the Limited Run Games booth. Here with Sean from Tate Multimedia. Welcome to B3 Crew. How are you doing today? Tired. It's been a long, long day, but it's exciting. We got the release day out there. It's nice seeing people play the game. It's uh, it's really cool to see it directly. Obviously, we had the Steam feedback, but to see people's reactions in person, it's wonderful. Like yourself. Yes, and it's quite interesting how... K.O. the Kangaroo has made a comeback. I believe it was a Twitter uh, campaign to see if there was any interest in bringing the character back in the first place. Yeah, and the, the weird thing is, it wasn't our Twitter campaign. It was directly the fans. So it had been a while since we had a K.O. the Kangaroo game come out. They started a hashtag, uh, bring back K.O. the Kangaroo. So we brought back the, the remastered version of K.O. the Kangaroo 2, released that on Steam did very well so we saw that around the marketplace you know crash came back spyro came back there was a lot of interest nostalgia was starting to rise because you know we're getting older now of course i think we're younger but we're getting older uh so like this might be a good time to bring back ko for the old fans but there's a good opportunity to introduce it to new fans absolutely now how has ko the kangaroo evolved since he first uh premiered almost 20 years ago <laughs> it's a strange one because in the first one no clothes. Second one, he's got clothes, he's got shorts, he's got shoes. Third one, he's got a full-on costume. This one, he's lost his top again. But no, in general, I think you can see that it does imitate and kind of reflect a lot of the trends at the time. You know, back in the first one, Rayman was a big theme that we were looking at. The second one, a little bit closer to Crash Bandicoot, Spyro. The third one, similar. And this one is kind of uh, an amalgamation. Jackson Daxter, Ratchet and Clank. Uh, even a little bit of croc, you know, everything essentially. What, and as you saw on our Twitter, quite often we like to kind of use it as a, a clubhouse. And we see Kale the Kangaroo is this mascot that you should know. And we want you to know. And we've built the game like that. So we've got different tricks, skills, but at the fundamentals still there. Your platforming, your cheekiness, your level design, you know, that, that kind of wholesome feeling that you get when you play something that reminds you something cool but it's also something new right I, I mean like those are the types of games that came to mind i especially thought of old school rareware titles yeah. uh, like the donkey kong 64 uh when i was actually diving into this new version of kill the kangaroo got that old good classic feel yeah. it's got the nuts and bolts but it's not too <laughs> complicated but at the same time sometimes you don't want to be too complicated with the video games this one is meant to be a lot more fun and fancy free yeah accessible i mean now again especially as we get older we have less and less time to play games so we didn't want something that was a collectathon of like five million things you know not a huge open map that's going to take you like 10 days just to scratch the surface off we wanted something that was accessible uh, something that was nostalgic, something that was still fresh, but something you could play in, let's say, three or four days or across a week, a working week, you know. But at the same time, 
the game is built for everyone. It's not too easy, and it's not too hard. It's accessible. You can play it, you can introduce your family to it, your children, and we're starting to see it packs, especially with the range of people that we've got playing it, enjoying it, that we feel we've done a good job. Right. And there's a lot of really good puzzle elements, so you are using your brain in a yeah. many different occasions. Case in point with the demo that you're showcasing here, <laughs> with the fiery uh, boxing gloves. Because yeah. um, you're not just using that to punch and hit enemies, you're also using that to initiate doors yeah. and inflame a boomerang to uh, take care of some nasty cobwebs yeah. in the way. There's a lot of, there's a lot that goes into a simple, uh, well, not a simple, there's a lot that goes into a, a level like this, even right at the start of K.O. the Kangaroo. Yeah, it's like, when we think of simplicity, I think a lot of people just think of very basic elements, and while that is true, it's the small things you like, kind of put in between that that make it a bit more of a, a robust experience. So, you know how to jump. You know if you jump and press B, you'll do a power slam. But what happens if you do it with this fire thing, this elemental stuff, this webbing, I can't get through it normally. Gotta set fire with my gloves. The boomerangs that I know when I've played in the previous level, I'm chucking them, but now it's not really working on the same material. Gotta use the elements. And that's just the first element that we're showing off. There's a whole bunch like I'm in the full game. We're really happy how we've managed to have a very basic outline, but put little complexities in there, but not being too complicated. Even some of the puzzles. We feel like the puzzles are deceivingly tricky, but once you figure it out, it's like the portal experience, you know? Oh, that, right. that's how I do it. Exactly. And that's what you're aiming for, them little moments of Eureka. Right. So, um, what can you tell me about the story this time around with K.O. the Kangaroo? Because I know this is kind of a reboot of such. Yeah. So the story is, without revealing too much, K.O.'s dad has been missing. There's a whole mystery around it. His sister has also went looking for her, his dad. And she's went missing. So Kao is sort of trying to figure out, you know, should I go? Would I go missing? His mother's a little bit, you know, I don't think you should. But Kao's Kao, you know, he's adventurous. It's a reboot, so we're still keeping that characteristic. So he goes to Walt, who's a martial arts trainer, and he starts getting lessons and training. And in doing so, he uncovers this pair of gloves that his father used to use. And the gloves are powerful, and they, they unlock something inside of them. And we're not too sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing. So that's part of the story, and that's all I'll say. It's kind of uh, a question of where is he going, is this the right path, and is it the right way? Right. And we don't have to wait too long for K.O. the Kangaroo, because oh. it's um, in May when it's going to be unleashed. Yeah, 27th of May, we released the, we released the release date today, if that makes sense. <laughs> so you'll be able to play on Xbox, PlayStation, uh, so, uh, oh, Nintendo Switch, how could I forget? Yeah, and PC. And that's why with Limited Run, our physical versions of the console will be done by Limited Run, including a collector's edition a little bit later down the line. Very cool. Now, um, how has feedback been with everybody that's been playing the game? Like, what sort of reactions are you getting from all these players and gamers that have experienced KO today? It's been really, really good. For me personally, my goal when I joined the company was to try and get more eyes, Western eyes on the, on the IP in the game. And a lot of people didn't know who KO was. They were calling it Cow as well, so we had to right. correct them straight away. You know, we got the magnets for that. So we were able to engage with them. I was able to tell them about the history. And when it was all put in the context, suddenly they see this, this game that isn't just popping out of the ground, but it's been a long time coming. And additionally, people have been able to relate to their childhood, which is great. And also, we've had some youngsters, so like I'd say 9, 10, that don't have that, but they still enjoyed it. And that's exactly what we're looking at. All age groups, doesn't matter 
how old, how old young you are, you're still going to have fun with this. So, so far, a lot of positive vibes for KO the Kangaroo. Yeah, I would say in the original demo we had in Steam Next Fest, there was obviously some bugs and stuff. We had a lot of great feedback. And part of my job is to make sure we have that feedback and turn into something useful. And again, you know, we really want to thank people that spend the time, even if it's something small. Every little bit of feedback is, is hugely valuable. KO wouldn't be here without the fans, and that includes their feedback. So whether it's at PAX, whether it was at Steam, whether it's when the game comes out, everything is listened to, and we really do care. Absolutely. Now, with this being the comeback of KO, I do have to ask, do you have any more plans for KO in the future? Do you have storyline ideas already brewing in your brain of yours? At the minute, we're just focusing on the game coming out. I think there's a bit of a tendency in the video game industry to get a game out and already have stuff planned. At the moment, we want to make sure the game comes out in the best state possible, the best possible quality, the most enjoyable, and then we'll see how things go. But for now, we get the game out and make sure it's the best quality kill experience that fans of the series can have and newcomers can have. That, that's our goal, and I think we're going to achieve it. Absolutely, because you want to make the best reboot that you can. And then, if you find success with that, you go, well, how can we yeah, top it next time? We just build on that. And I think that's something that KO's always done. And we're excited. We're excited. But for now, definitely just focusing on the core game. Excellent. Sean, thank you so much for joining me here on B3Crew.com. Uh, where can more people find information on KO the Kangaroo? Uh, at KOTheKangaroo.com. You can find us on Twitter. At KO Official. KO the Kangaroo on there. Instagram. Pretty much all the same. And a Discord. We have a Discord, but you'll find details on that in our social media feed. And Steam page, of course. Thank you very much. You are very welcome. Best luck with the rest of Paxis for you. <laughs> I want to get a new pogo stick So I can learn a new pogo trick I'm gonna bounce all over town And show my friends how I get down I'm gonna pogo <laughs> oh my god, you're bleeding. That's all right. We'll bleed through the interview. <laughs> I actually already started recording. But anyway, we are <laughs> <There you go>. <laughs> <laughs> We're here with Liam from Too High Studios, right? Too High Labs. Too High Labs. My bad, my That's bad. Cool, good. Who is showing off Curse to Golf yeah. here at PAX Seas 2022. And uh, before we even started recording, we were talking about your origins. Because you are stationed out in Kyoto, Japan. Yes, we are. So what brought you from... America to Kyoto. <laughs> oh, well, actually, I'm originally British. Oh, so, yeah, but... Yeah, I, my accent is ruined these days. <laughs> um, uh, so I used to work for Rockstar Games. I worked on GTA V and Red Dead Redemption 2. Uh, after working for a long time on those games, um, I just uh, needed a break. Uh, so I did something I always wanted to do, which is to move out to Japan uh, for a year. So I taught English for a little bit. Uh, after being there for a year, I realized that Japan is kind of my new home. I love the country. Um, I've been there seven years now, but I still wanted to make games. So I just started prototyping, making my own games. Uh, that led me to getting a job offer at a studio called Q Games in Kyoto uh, under Dylan Cuthbert. And uh, then I just ended up making games. And then uh, during COVID, I was tinkering around with Game Maker because I had a lot more time. And I made the original prototype for Curse to Golf. Thankfully, a lot of people liked it. So Thunderful, a lovely publisher, picked it up. We built a team at Two High Labs to make the game. So now here we are. Paxi's showing off the game. That is 
I'm, that is a fantastic story. Great inspiration too, because I myself am hoping to like move out over to Japan, awesome. uh, doing a little English teaching, and then yeah. you know my big passion. My big passion is actually music and doing radio and all go. that sort of stuff. So I want to do like a, my my podcast is a live radio show for those who are learning English as a second language. That's great. That's awesome. That's really really cool. I mean, Japan is a place where that is the thing to do right now. So honestly, good luck to you. Best thing to do is just go out there and do it. Thank you very much. But let's talk about you. Let's talk about Curse to Golf. So when you were working on this game during the pandemic, like when was like the spark? Like when was this like, oh, this could be an awesome idea for a game? Uh, I don't know about awesome idea, but actually it started as a uh, long story short. I started it as uh, an idea based off. I was listening to a podcast about roguelikes. So speaking of radio, I was just listening to a podcast about roguelikes and I sort of was like, why has nobody made a physics roguelike? And then I realized very quickly, it's because it's a really stupid idea. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> I just started playing around, but I stuck with it. I started playing around, and I, I was bouncing a ball around like a Metroid-style dungeon. And I realized, oh, this is kind of like golf. And um, because of that, I just kind of changed it into golf. And golf is something I played as a kid, mm -hmm. uh, so I knew the rules. And uh, when you build a game off sports, it's, a, it's almost like cheating because the rules are already there for you. So you just sort of manipulate it. I came up with this idea of like this guy who's cursed who has to play golf forever because for some people that would be like hell. Yeah. You know, nobody. <laughs> a lot of people don't like golf. Um, so the idea that you repetitively just keep playing golf forever, and then it turned into this story about a guy who is a pro golfer who gets cursed to prove that he is the greatest golfer of all time and can ascend through. So I don't know. We're here now with this quirky game that uh, people hopefully like. Right, and of course they're like in regular golf. You've got 18 holes, but very much like Dante's Inferno with 18 uh, uh, levels, levels of a hell. Yep. yep. So technically, it's you going through purgatory to get up to golf heaven. Yeah, that is exactly what is going on here. You have to ascend. So our sort of storyline is called ascension. So the idea here is that you have 18 holes you have to go through, uh, but if you fail at any point, so you only have five shots per hole. It's kind of like your health. And if you fail at any point, you will return back to hole one and the curse of Curse to Golf starts again. That's it. Oh, wow. That is. <laughs> I, I'm, I can imagine that's going to frustrate some people, but at the same time, like, that's part of that's the story. That's part of the thing. We have, you know, uh, a lot of people have asked, like, the challenge. The challenge is there because golf itself is a challenging game. Um, but we wanted to make sure that people can finish it. We want to make sure that people do get through the 18 holes. Um, so the idea here is that we'll get, we have checkpointing systems, we have these bosses that you defeat during the game, and when you do, you gain rewards uh, that persist across runs. So hopefully, fingers crossed, everybody will be able to ascend with some time. Now, you did mention everyone gets five strokes in the beginning, but you also have very special power-ups that you can use to help gain that yes. victory quicker. That is true, actually. You're doing my job for me. I entirely forgot that actually we have these cards called Ace Cards. This is kind of the uh, spice that makes Curse to Golf the game it is, which is uh, a game that has these almost Mario Kart style power-ups. They're not always helpful. They're, they can be difficult to use, um, but they will help you really ascend after you know using them for a long period of time. So we have like passive and active cards. There'll be passive ones that just boost your health, uh, give you more shots on your park camp. Some that allow you to do mulligan, so if you hit a bad shot, you can just return to the previous one. Or there'll be stuff like scatter shot, which is one that when the ball is in the air, you can explode it like a grenade into multiple different balls, and then they bounce all over the place. And you can choose which one you want to play from. 
There's all sorts of different quirky power-ups in there. You can turn the ball into a rocket. Yeah, all sorts oh, of stuff. Because, wow. of course, why not? Yeah, why not? It's your game. You can do whatever you exactly. want with your game. Uh, fun is the name of the game, really, honestly. And I got to demo this the other day. Absolute blast playing the first hole. I love the power-up aspects, the ace cards, as you call them. And I do like the story overall, too. And not to mention the, the, the beautiful, adorable <laughs> presentation of the game as well. Yeah. Sticking with the old-school style. Yeah, I really, I mean, I grew up as a Nintendo kid. I live in Japan. I worked for a man who worked on Star Fox. I am, like, heavily inspired by Nintendo's philosophy of, like, uh, you know, cute and charming, you know, can really hook you. And I wanted to make sure that it was kind of disarming. Like, people come into it, they're like, oh, this looks cute. And then they play it, and they're like, oh, wait a second, this is quite a serious thing. Um, so I'm glad our pixel artist, John, has done an incredible job. It's an absolutely beautiful game. I'm biased, but if I saw this myself, I'd be like, what Super Nintendo game is this that I didn't know about? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm very pleased with how it's turned out. So how has the feedback been here at PAX East with all the people that have been giving it a try? Man, I wish I could lie and not uh, be, uh, uh, like, sound humble, but it's been amazing. Like, honestly, um, we have a queue where we're, like, we're standing right next to a queue now of people who, like, the people have been queuing to play it all weekend. It's crazy. Um, we, I'm holding an award from another website about it. <laughs> uh, it's been really positive. Um, people keep coming back to play it as well. A lot of people who said I, I, I freaking love it and stuff like that. Can't wait to buy it. Uh, it's very overwhelming. It's awesome. It's fantastic. And I believe you have a release date already for it. We don't have a specific one, but we have a release window. It is this summer, summer 2022, so very soon, uh, which terrifies the shit out of me because I'm making the game. There's still a lot to do, but we're pushing very hard to make sure that you can come and play it uh, this summer. It's coming to Steam, Nintendo Switch, and Xbox. And then maybe other platforms down the line. Awesome. Liam, thank you so much for joining me here on Boston Master Brigade. Best of luck with the rest of PAX East. And I am looking forward to being even more cursed to golf later on in the summertime. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. Join me right here at the Apache booth, which is a video game company I've been very familiar with ever since I was a little kid, is Mike Stollart, who is showcasing his latest game, Below the Stone. Welcome to B3 Crew. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me, and I'd love to uh, talk about Below the Stone and see what you have to ask about it. Well, my first question is about about Stollart. Like, so how did you uh, first develop this new uh, video game company? So... You know, that's an interesting story. I mean, what happened was, uh, funny enough, um, we had a Kickstarter back in 2019 for Below the Stone, and um, we ended up having, um, well, we didn't end up raising the money that we wanted, um, didn't quite raise, we ended up having like a $10,000 goal for, and anybody who has developed games or knows game development, 10000 is not quite enough to make a game, but we were, we were being a little bit, you know, modest and trying to raise in our means and uh we ended up raising five thousand and on kickstarter if you don't raise the full amount you end up you know it doesn't end up happening but we had several dozen publishers reach out to us from this kickstarter um one of them including apogee um and scott miller ended up contacting me and um 
Uh, my first reaction, um, well, I had a bad experience with the publisher before, so uh, my first reaction was I actually blocked Scott Miller from Apogee. Uh, <laughs> and uh, um, then he contacted me again, I believe, on Twitter. Um, and then I blocked him again. And then the president of the company contacted me. Um, and I blocked him. And then out of nowhere, I, I read my Facebook um, and I see a new message from Scott Miller. And I'm like, okay, if this guy is willing to message me, this mu- okay, I might as, well, <laughs> might as well see what's going on here. So after talking with him and finding out it was the real Scott Miller, um, we ended up con- uh, talking about it and writing up a contract. And after a little while of uh, back and forth, we ended up signing a deal with Apogee. So that's how Apogee and Strollar ended up meeting up. The bad news was the Kickstarter didn't succeed, but you still managed to find yourself a publisher in Apogee. Um, with Apogee now helping out with Below the Stone, like has has that helped with making it a lot m- m- a much bigger game than you initially thought it was going to be? Absolutely. And uh, one thing we ended up uh, doing is, uh, from that original Kickstarter, we had a lot of people asking us, please do another Kickstarter, we love this game, please continue making this game. And that's really what kept us going, uh, not just Apogee, but you know those fans who kind of inspired us to continue developing. And uh, we made a promise to come back with a Kickstarter. And one of the things I kind of worked out with Apogee was um, I would love to do another Kickstarter. And they were totally open to the idea of doing another Kickstarter. So what ended up happening was we launched another Kickstarter. So originally we had a $5, a $10,000 goal and made 5000 And what ended up happening was the second Kickstarter we did was a $20,000 goal, which was, I mean... We were doubling our goal, but uh, we were we were um, pretty proud of what we made, and we were we were ready to see what would happen. And we ended up raising forty thousand dollars wow. instead of. So we went from barely making half of our goal the last time to more than doubling the goal in the second time. So really, um, Apogee helped us a lot, and I think uh, you know it just shows that with game development in general, you really shouldn't give up. I think you need to keep trying and keep um, really just realize the, the power you have in, uh, and that goes for anybody, not just in game development, but just in general to not give up and not you know, surrender in any way like that. It's just continue working on what you love and eventually it'll come to. Absolutely. Now, tell us a little bit about the story behind Below the Stone, because you play as a dwarf, and at first it seems like it's going to be a mining game, but then as the game progresses, you find out there's more than just uh, minerals laying about in the area that you are uh, traversing through. Yeah, of course. uh, You end up realizing that uh, there's many biomes and different areas to explore, but also hazards and enemies and creatures that are there to, you know just lurking in the darkness so what it's going to end up happening is when you explore these new areas that you're kind of like stepping into a place where um uh not a lot of creatures it's a very hazardous area you know biomes come with if you go into a magma biome there's going to be lava plumes and stuff like that if you go into a um uh a, one of our biomes that's going to be in the future is like these uh charged crystals where there's going to be electricity bouncing back and forth between crystals um so as you're going through all these biomes, there's all sorts of hazards and creatures and things that just lurk there in the darkness. So um, it's not just, you know, go down and mine. It's going to be, there's, you know, 
kind of challenges and things to face down in the dark. And um, of course, there's going to be dungeons that you can find and different kinds of treasure and loot. And I think um, that's one of the big things that we're driving with this roguelike. Now, Apogee, of course, is a, a classic uh, PC company. You used to play a lot of games like Crystal Caverns and Secret Agent and such. How would you fit Below the Stone with the uh, classic old-school Apogee games? Well, I think right now, Below the Stone, just with the pixel art kind of aesthetic, I think it, it kind of fits with that old-school retro kind of, um, uh, you know, classic Apogee kind of game in that fashion, right? So I think... Um, I think you may have said it yourself. I think Apogee, um, uh, in a way, Below the Stone kind of calls back a little bit to the old Apogee games. Um, and not just the aesthetic, but I guess like the, the gameplay that's a little bit outside the box with, um, you know, just in general on PC. So, yeah. So, when players dive into Below the Stone, I reckon that there's going to be a lot of secrets, hidden areas. Um, what kind of mysteries do you hope the players will unfold as they go below the stone? Well, as you go below the stone, there's going to be sort of a, a deeper lore to everything. And um, as you go deeper, you're going to realize that there's uh, places that haven't been touched by man for maybe hundreds or thousands of years. And um, it's kind of, I mean, as I said before, we're planning on having like 50 biomes in the game. Um, so as you're going through all these areas, you might find ruins of some ancient civilization where, you know, there's all sorts of buried riches underground. So um, there's there's going to be a, kind of a big lore element where um, we're going to have probably a bestiary that you need to fill out where, um, you know, all the different creatures you encounter in all these different biomes, you'll have like some list or, you know, be able to fill out a book to... Uh, you know, kind of get a little bit of little tidbits and bites of lore with how these creatures got here and what they're like and how they interact with each other. So we definitely are going to go big on the, you know, exploring and finding out the mystery of all these things. And really the uh, the end goal is getting down to the deepest depths. And um, down there there's going to be um, secrets which only you can find out by playing. <laughs> I take it this is going to be one of those games where some where you can play it many times over and you're going to find something brand new every single time. Uh, that's exactly the goal. Now, I always hate in video games. I'm sure anybody listening right now, you've you've played those games where you see a green slime and then the next area you find a blue slime and then the next area you find a red slime. Really, they're all the same slime. It's just one has a little bit more health than the last one. Right. I, I really hate that in video games. So what I want to do is in every single biome, there's going to be... Uh, new creatures and new enemies and new things to encounter with different uh, you know interactions with the player. Uh, they have different ways of defending themselves or attacking you. Or um, and as I said before, there might be like specific biomes where they have they're hazardous in different kinds of ways. Whether it's like a, a lava plume or a certain kind of mushroom that like explodes spores and you know, slows you as you're getting overwhelmed by enemies. So as you're exploring it through these areas, it's going to be really dangerous for you to kind of. Uh, find your way through. And of course there's um, also the ability to kind of take your time with it. Uh, you don't have to go down deeper. You can always prepare as much as you want uh, on the layer that you're on. So there's not necessarily like a, a, a huge push to say, okay, well you have to face the hardest challenges right away. Layer one's probably going to be the safest and you'll have a lot of time to um, prepare your gear before you decide to descend further down. Absolutely. So 
I'm loving the aspects of the different characters, different creatures, different biomes. The more the date, the more further you go down, the more dangerous it gets. It brings to mind um, a, a favorite anime of mine that came out a couple years ago called Made in Abyss. I'm not sure if you're familiar I, with yeah, that or not. That. Uh, would you say that that played a good influence on Below the Stone? I would say I definitely watched that for inspiration for Below the Stone. So that's definitely a good anime, and I think that was a... Uh, I think uh, you might see some similarities between the two. As you go deeper, things might get a little more malevolent and evil, let's say. Maybe one's sanity might be lost as it progresses. Just perhaps. Well, it depends how, you know, uh, how many times you die, you might lose your sanity <laughs> in that way, too. But, uh, you know, um, I think uh, Made in Abyss is a, a good example to bring up for a game like this. So... So my final question is, when it comes time for it to be unleashed, why should people experience what Below the Stone has to offer? Well, it's, I mean, a lot of people compare this game to uh, Terraria or uh, uh, a recent game that came out, Core Keeper. Um, uh, some people say Minecraft. Some people say the Stardew Valley and, like, how you mine and build a village, sort of. Instead, you're building a kingdom in this game. But... Uh, what really kind of sets it apart from everything is just how vast we want to make this game. We don't want to cut corners and reskin enemies and reskin things in this game. We want to make this every time you play the game, you're seeing something different. Every time you decide, all right, it's time to play Below the Stone today, um, you're going to see something new that you haven't seen before. So that's how I want it to be. I want to play it where if you've played for 100 hours, there's still a chance you've seen, you will see something that play session that you've never seen before awesome mike thank you so much for joining me here on b3crew.com best of luck on the rest of hex east i look forward to seeing where below the stone takes me even if i may lose my life many times over i can't wait to see what it has to offer thank you very much and if you want to find us uh please find us on belowthestone.com um, we also have a Below the Stone Twitter account, and you can find our Discord and everything on BelowTheStone.com. And again, thank you for this interview. You're welcome. Glad to have you on. Thank you. to tell me is it's a game about Twisted Muppets, and I am so in. And I'm joined here by Cleveland, who helped create my friendly neighborhood. Or rather, you helped out with some of the art for the game. Yes, indeed. Um, uh, I had a lot, of a, lot of, a lot of fun painting all of the, uh, the puppets for the game. Uh, make sure to use the word puppet, <laughs> of yeah. course. But um, uh, yes, uh, from the cover art to the game, uh, painting uh, Norman, uh, our, our main puppet, uh, to uh, a lot of the other portraits in the game as well and posters on the walls. So we had a really neat opportunity with My Friendly Neighborhood to use the, uh, the wall art in the game uh, for narrative, uh, for ambient storytelling. So you'll see posters and uh, signs posted throughout the world uh, that help uh, sort of you know, build out the context and flavor of the world. Uh, down from uh, posters from uh, old shows that the My Friendly Network used to show to uh, caution signs, you know, that say things like, uh-oh, watch out for the water, 
uh, that are designed both for the puppets as well as the people working at the, the network as well. Now I noticed that you're actually uh, wearing one of the characters from My Friendly Neighborhood. Can yes. you tell them a little about this little socky guys? Yes, most definitely. So this is Ricky the Sock. Uh, Ricky the Sock appears throughout the game, popping out of pipes. Uh, for those uh, listeners or readers, uh, he is a, uh, a sock puppet um, with wonderful eyes that don't always line up in the direction they're looking, but he tries. He's trying. Um, uh, he's voiced by Arlo, uh, a YouTuber uh, uh, and uh, Let's Player. Yes, I actually follow him on YouTube. He's a very great YouTuber. Excellent. Isn't he just? Um, yeah, uh, John uh, Samansky, the, the lead developer of the game, was uh, you know looking for different voices and characters, and he really felt like Arlo just had that puppety voice. <laughs> and I definitely agree. He's great. So tell us a little bit about the story of My Friendly Neighborhood. Oh, yes. So My Friendly Neighborhood is set in the uh, an old children's entertainment production studio uh, with the My Friendly Network that used to broadcast all sorts of wonderful entertainment for kids to help them learn and grow. Uh, unfortunately, the studio was shut down, and after years of uh, not being um, uh, of silence, the, the signal has been broadcasting again. Um, uh, you are a handyman who is sent in to stop the signal from broadcasting. Because, of course, the broadcast is not as friendly as it used to be. So, one of the things I actually like about this game, so when you look at My Friendly Neighborhood, maybe you saw the trailer for it, you're going to think, oh, oh, that's kind of a funny game. No! There's actually some terrifying things that happen in My Friendly Neighborhood. Yes, most definitely. And even though the game doesn't have, uh, you know, there's no gore or violence, you don't even kill the puppets. Uh, uh, once they've been... Uh, you know, sort of subdued, um, uh, you tape them down to make sure, you know, they, uh, they can't, uh, you know, hug anyone too tight anymore. Because <laughs> that's all they want is a hug. Yeah. You know, they just forgot how. Yeah, because I'm a big sucker when it comes to things that satirize, you know, uh, children's television, things like Avenue Q, uh, Life Lessons with Erdemichi Unisan, uh, Greg the Bunny, and, like, that sort of stuff kind of made me think, uh, those are the kinds of things that I thought of when I was starting to play my friendly neighborhood but then it gets into that sort of meet the feebles kind of feel to it at the deeper it goes yeah um it and it just goes deeper and deeper um into the bowels of the studio and you see just how expansive like this uh this network used to be so uh, i know you worked a little bit on you worked a lot on the art a lot of background stuff like what has been your favorite aspect of my friendly neighborhood that you got to be a part of oh i have to say the uh the movie posters um, the, the posters in the game are all references to uh, the films that the studio put on at the height of uh, their, uh, their success. So uh, all from, you know, Puppet Pirate Cove to The Mystic Maze to, um, uh, you know, a, a winter song. You know, like there's all, all these different films that they, they, uh, they created. And a lot of the fun I had with it is, uh, you know, those, those movies would feature both puppets and people. So uh, we, I got to paint members of the studio and friends of mine as, you know, the, the, the roles in those. So creating uh, all these, like, posters for fake movies was, like, a real treat. Because I, I love Drew Struzan and, you know, all those other, like, classic Hollywood posters. And it was a real treat being able to kind of pay homage to that and, uh, you know, and working up those designs. Now, as you play the game, I'm curious, do you get an opportunity to see what My Friendly Neighborhood was like before the puppets started going crazy? Yes, um, there's a lot of lore entries in the game, uh, as well as uh, sets, um, uh, sound stages, you know, the, the back rooms, uh, as well as the executive offices and things like that. So you really get a sense of, like, the, the, the whole studio top to bottom and how it used to operate as you go through and explore, you know, what is now the puppets' domain. 
I don't think I have to sell it anymore because I love the concept of My Friendly Neighborhood, but just in case, why should people experience what My Friendly Neighborhood has to offer? Oh, I mean, if you grew up on, you know, that sort of, that era of children's entertainment, I think you'll really appreciate uh, how much of a love letter it is to that. It was important for us not to just... Uh, you know, create a, a profane image of that, but to, to you know, show our, our respect and admiration and love for that era of entertainment as well. Right, because it wasn't just like Sesame Street, The Muppet Show. You had stuff like Romper Room and like series like that that were a great influence on children, not just from the past decade, this current decade, but even generations past. And I think you guys did a really great job with capturing that that love and homage to those classic uh, puppet shows even if it's a scarier aspect of the game. Oh, yes. And, of course, on top of all of that, we've you've been very careful to make sure that the world is uh, very much our own, too. You know, this is uh, definitely an alternate, you know, sort of uh, world and all the rest of it. Absolutely. Cleveland, thank you so much for joining me here thank on BeatTheCrew.com. So I cannot wait to see what the rest of Norman's world has to offer. Absolutely. And please do check out some more of DreadXP's games as well. We have a whole ton of just wonderful, delightful games to play. You know, from everything from, like, the, 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 the lightness of My Friendly Neighborhood to the dark horrors of the Mortuary Assistant. There's so many cool games that we're, uh, we have in our pipeline right now, and I really do encourage you to check out all of them. I do believe there are some demos, too, for people to check out as well. Oh, here at PAX? Yes, absolutely. Well, and not just Steam. there. Yeah, Steam. Yeah, and Steam as well. Uh, My Friendly Neighborhood has a demo out right now that you're, uh, you're available to play. Awesome. Cleveland, thank you so much. Best of luck with the rest of PAX East, and I very much look forward to seeing what's going to be coming from Dread X in the near future. Chris, thank you. It ain't PAX East without a visit to my good buddy Eric at the Nerds Clothing Booth. Welcome once again to Boston Bash Brigade. How are you doing today? Good, man. Feels great to be back here at PAX. And uh, yeah, man, today's turnout's pretty cool. Saturday sold out, so. Yeah. So, <laughs> you've had a very busy past couple of years. I mean, you've got yeah. Capcom, you've got Astro Boy under your belt, man. You've got All Elite Wrestling, still the WWE stuff, man. You, you... You have done a phenomenal job these last couple of years. Thank so, you. which had to have been the ultimate get for you? Uh, the ultimate get, man. Um, well, a lot of the stuff that we do get, it's 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 very personal to me. You know, I, those are things that I grew up with, so I really like cherish what I try to bring in and uh, you know put as much attention to it that it needs to be. Um, the wrestling stuff is really cool, man. You know, a lot of cool things. I'm part of AEW's history. Um, but man, I'm I'm waiting for a big big anime. So you know that's that's what I'm waiting for to really get my 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 uh, top tier license that I, that I that I'm searching for. But yeah. Well, you know, I did just mention. Well, you haven't gotten the big big anime, current one, but having Astro Boy, the original, the original gangster yeah. of anime, that has to be like such yeah, such yeah. such a big feel for you. Yeah, absolutely. Astro Boy, and actually, I don't know if you remember Gigantor. Yeah, bigger than big, taller than tall. Yeah, man, so my father actually put me on to uh, Japanimation when I was young, so he had, like, these VHSs of, like, Astro Boy and, and uh, Gigantor, and I just, like, really, it just stuck with me this whole year, so, you know, throughout the years, so, um, 
when I had the opportunity to to approach uh, Astro Boy, uh, it was it was a big accomplishment. But um, you know, here's some news right now. You know, we're talking to Viz Media. Uh, there's a potential partnership there with uh, a couple of their IPs. So uh, might bring in Naruto, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, and uh, hopefully Bleach. So look and out for that. Of course, you know, pro wrestling having a lot of influence in anime and vice versa yeah. too. You you can just imagine like maybe pairing up New Day with JoJo. Oh like, like, man, yeah, man. There there has been ideas swirling around, especially you know Xavier's a great friend of mine. He's like a brother to me. Um, and you know we're spitballing ideas. If, if the IP comes in, uh, I'll be I'll be knocking on some doors, whether it's AEWs or uh, WWEs. But yeah, man, we're trying to do do some cool shit. <laughs> now with the, you know it's been two years since big conventions and everything like that. Like how have you felt nerds clothing has evolved in the last couple of years when it comes to convention presence? Mm, yeah, man. Uh, each year, and you know we we keep expanding more and more. You know a bigger booth size, better product. And, man, I can't, I mean, I wouldn't have been able to have been here if it wasn't for, like, the fans, man. Like, the fans really gravitated to what I created, and, you know, they, they've showed so much support to me. And it's just grown organically, man, and it's, like, it's, it's really crazy to see. It's still so, so surreal to me. Um, but I'm the same me, you know what I mean? Like, I'll be the same me even if they're, you know, I was uh, driving a Maserati outside or something. You know what I mean? And stuff like that doesn't really matter to me, man. I, I love... I love what I'm doing, and uh, the people who support it, you know, I have nothing but love for them, so, yeah. Absolutely. Now, you got the shirts, you got the jackets, you got the masks, you got the hats and the caps. Like, how, <laughs> how, how, what more do you want from Nerds Clothing? Like, Man, yeah, that's a good question. Uh, so, I'm actually diving into the uh, toy realm of stuff, so we actually did some uh, New Japan-styled uh, retro figures. Wrestling, re, retro wrestling figures uh, that did pretty well so uh, you know thank you for New Japan for like opening up their door to me and like letting me explore other avenues that I haven't really done stuff with um, but yeah toys man I want to get into toys collectibles vinyls uh, vinyl figures so yeah man maybe music so yeah <laughs> I mean with recently just announcing Ollie Wrestling and New Japan Pro Wrestling, the Forbidden Door pay-per-view. Yes, I mean, sir. there's got to be some great potential on Nerds Clothing to do some big collaboration in that regard. Yes, man. Yeah, we're, you know, like, again, I, I work very closely with uh, people from Pro Wrestling Tees and AEW, and we're, we're trying to find something cool to do for everybody to be happy with. So, yeah, man, should be cool. So, I guess my final question is, what, which design right now for you is, like, I can't believe I managed to pull that off kind of feel for you. Oh, man. Uh, that's that's a tough one, man. Uh, out of what I have... Ooh. You know what? I, I don't think it's here yet, man. I would say once the Naruto stuff comes in, because I've done some crazy killer mock-ups for them, once that stuff hits shells, man, I feel like I'm... I feel super accomplished. Like, yeah, man. That's, <laughs> I love anime so much, so it's just like... That's the ultimate thing for me to accomplish with the, what I've been doing with my brand, but yeah. Um, am I allowed to mention that you might be going to a certain anime convention that mm, is based yeah, out of, of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anna, of New York City, Anime yeah. NYC? Anime, yeah, Anime NYC, so we're, we're, we're booked up for that. Um, we're just waiting for the paperwork to go through, man, and, and once it goes through, we'll... We'll have that there, so yeah. Eric, always a pleasure chatting with you. I'm all, I am just amazed by how 
much you've evolved. You had the little tiny boot the first time you came here. Now, now you can actually walk around. In I it. know, I know, yeah. And, and for the people that uh, stuck around during those times and it was crowded and you know we, we kind of neglected your your attention. Uh, yeah, we're we're doing better now. So thank you guys. And, and once again, thank you, Eric, and best of luck with the rest of Pax East. Thank you, you too, man. Take care. Uh, hey. I'm here with Britt from Doink Soft over at the Devolver Digital Booth where we just tried out Demon Throttle, which is actually going to be a Nintendo Switch game that is going to be only available via physical release, like old school days, man, like old school days. Welcome to Boston Master Brigade. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. So, the first question is, why only physical? Uh, well, we all, we all really like old games, um, especially Joseph collects a ton of like NES games and Game Boy games, and that's basically all he plays. And there's something about having that physical item in your hand, you know, that that's really lost now with so much digital stuff. And really wanting to facilitate the, that feeling for the players, so like going that route. So it has an instruction manual. There's no tutorial in the game. You have to look at the instruction manual. There's cheat codes in there. There's lore in there. So it's about getting involved in that. Uh, putting the cartridge in, you can bring it over to your friends, play together, you know, it's got co-op, and just, yeah, like, reviving the feeling of, you know, what we grew up with. Right, like, speaking of, like, the cheat codes, like, go back in the day when you would pull out, like, a Game Pro magazine, and it would show at the back, like, here are some secrets we just discovered about this game. So you're going to do that with the Demon Throttle sort of setup. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So tell us a little bit about the story in Demon Throttle. I noticed there's a cowboy and a vampire woman? Yeah. So basically... Uh, a demon comes in, steals the vampire's chalices, and kisses the cowboy's wife or something. Uh, and they go out to seek revenge and fight demon generals through different areas of the game. Um, and there are, you, have, you know, there's, there's, there's the regular way the game can play, which is like, you know, revenge for the cowboy. But to really get the full ending, you have to get the chalices back also for, for the vampire. So you're telling me that the, the, van, the, the, the cowboy could care less about the end of the world, but as soon as the demon kissed his wife, that was like, all right, that's it. Yeah, exactly. So as the artist in the game, like, what were some of the things that you had brought to Demon Throttle that felt like your own personal touch to it? Um, I guess, you know, it, it's, it's in a NES palette. Uh, the sprite sizes are just, like, are very similar to NES. Um, but also, you know, we're not playing these games on an old CRT anymore, so I try to make the art look like how you remember NES games more than what they actually look like now if you pull up a ROM. Because yes. they're noisier and uglier, so trying to keep them clean and just like poppy and clear and, and you know, really visible. So, tell me a little bit about some of the inspiration that went into uh, Demon Throttle. Like, what games did you pull from that helped to create the spirit that is the Demon Throttle? Um, one game in particular is uh, King's Knight, which is a very similar game, but it's also kind of bad. You know, it's a cool idea, but it's kind of bad, and it's kind of unfair. Um, so, like, 
basically trying to make something like that, but better. Uh, but, you know, there's a lot of influences from all sorts of NES games. So tell me something about, uh, tell me a little bit about the worlds that you're going to be traversing through in order to defeat these demons and collect these chalices. Yeah, so there's like four main worlds, and they all have hidden sub-levels in them, but, you know, you go through a forest, you go through a desert, you go through an ice level, and then a demon castle. It's all classic tropes, you know. Awesome, awesome. So... I take it it's not going to be a super long experience, but at the same time, you, you brought like that NES-style difficulty where yeah. it's going to take you a long time to defeat these games. Yeah, yeah. It's more like, you know, getting your buddy over, playing together, getting good at it, you know, make trying everything to get to the perfect ending. Um, and yeah, I think that also goes along with the physical thing, because when you have a physical game, you're more committed, you know, to it. So, do we have a release date yet for Demon Throttle? Uh, we don't, but uh, it's basically done now. We're just going into manufacturing. Awesome, awesome, awesome. So, for, for those that are listening uh, right now on my podcast show, uh, please convince them why should Demon Throttle be part of their Switch library? Uh, you know, I think that it's a fun game, and if you love retro games, uh, I think, you know, we've done a lot of we have a lot of love for those, and we try to bring, you know, a modern fairness and, and, and you know, some modern game design into that. Um, also, it's really funny. Yeah. I think it's funny. Absolutely. Absolutely. And how has the feedback been here from PAX East? Uh, it's, it's been great. It's, it's great to see people play it. You know, some people are picking it up and getting way farther than we'd expect, um, and everybody seems to be giggling or shaking their heads at the jokes, and that's pretty funny to watch. So. Absolutely. Great. Thank you so much for joining me here on Boston Bash Brigade. Please go check out Demon Throttle when it's released, whenever it is released. And like we said, you have to buy the physical version in order to actual play it. And pre-order is open right now. So. Excellent. Yes. Thank you. Good, good point. Good point. Brett, thank you once again. And best of luck to the rest of PAX East. Thank you. Dropping off, dropping out, night trails, old tales next day, underpaid, no flight, can't write, same songs, new night, Duncan's in the game again, I'm crying all night, about a guy with another guy waiting for me round the back, every time, no go, next show. I'm here with Lucia, the co-founder of Total Mayhem Games, who are showing off the fourth chapter in the We Were Here series, We Were Here Forever. Welcome to Boston Bash Brigade, how are you doing today? Thank you very much for having me, and yeah, I'm doing pretty great. We got some really positive feedback, and people are loving the new demo, so I couldn't be happier. So how does We Were Here Forever link up to the other three games from the past? Well, actually, uh, for the players who have played We Were Here, um, you know, you start up with a group of four, you get separated, and you're one of the two persons who played We Were Here. And then in We Were Here 2, you play the two other ones who get lost in the big blizzard. We were together, you're the, uh, the explorers from the expedition post, looking for you guys. But for also players who have played it, you may may remember that you have been left behind by your friend. Now you can revenge because you're playing the ones who got left behind. Ah, I gotcha, I gotcha. So, so with you now being the ones that have left behind, uh, what sort of new challenges are you going to find here And We Were Here Forever? Well, a lot of new challenges, like the the gameplay, the graphics, the visual style, everything got upgraded so intensely in the last few years. 
just the experiencing the whole new story and doing all these really, really neatly designed puzzles. We have like every puzzle is perf is designed for this game, so we're not reusing any uh, concepts that we have been using in the past four games, uh, past three games. So everything you will encounter in this game is like especially designed for this game and for this uh, expedition you're doing with your friends trying to get out of Castle Rock, hopefully for once and for all. And I can imagine, with this being the fourth game in the series, what are what have been some more challenging aspects of coming up with brand new puzzles for the fourth game? Well, actually, we thought it would be really challenging to come up with all this new stuff, but we have like really, really creative game designers and also like really creative artists. So um, we we were looking for a new way to get our team inspired. So we had we had this new idea, and it was uh, let's just make groups in the team of a developer, a, pro, of a designer, a developer, and an artist, just act, yeah, just like in school, actually. Um, and let's team them up and give them the assignment to make, for example, an area or a puzzle for an area. The most creative stuff came out of that because before um, the pandemic, we used to work like you have the programmers, you have the game designers, and you have the artists, and they have to communicate with each other as a team. Now we said we put up every team, one together with the other ones, and they have to come up with new stuff. So incredibly talented. It's like, because you have ownership of your own little part of the game, like people really felt like, this is the area that I'm responsible for, so I'm going to put like all my creativity in it, and it gave, for example, the puzzle you've just been playing is made by one team who had the assignment to make an area. Well, it is absolutely stunning, so... Yeah, it's quite the brain teaser, and uh, one of the things that makes this game so unique, and you know, with all the other games in the series, is the importance of communication. Yeah. Because you're not going to have all the keys to the puzzle in front of you. Your friend is going to have it, yeah. and it's, what makes it important is that you talk through the puzzle. Yeah, the communication is key in this game, most certainly. Yeah, I always say like we um, when we started, we were here like the first game as students. It was the era that kind of Battle Royale became a big thing and we noticed that a lot of people were really fighting for their last spot. Like, the gaming was focusing more back then on you and not on doing something together like as a, as a united front against other people, for example. So I wanted to do something with my team that felt like kind of a resistance against what was everyone else doing. And most people nowadays are really afraid to trust each other or rely on each other so we thought like what if we make a game that lets you actually you only depend on the other person you're doing this with the only thing you have is your voice and you must solely trust your partner's voice in this whole game so that was kind of uh, it was exciting and we actually never thought that it would become so big and such a hit, but people loved it because it was finally something they could do together again and have like their own journey. Thank you so much. Now, what would you say is one of the most challenging aspects or one of the most challenging puzzles that you have uh, created thus far for We Were Here Forever? Like, what takes the most communication to actually solve? Oh, oh, that, I think that's a really tough one. Do you know, Joff? Like, the one that got, like, is the toughest to to do the toughest puzzle what started the yelling matches <laughs> yeah i think yeah we have, we have one puzzle that is something new for the series is it's it is submerged so one of the two players gets a helmet on goes underwater and of course you have limited oxygen of course 
Um, and that's really something that you see is really challenging because players start to panic when the oxygen dries out. Your screen becomes to fade away. Uh, so there's a lot of stress there, and it's really fun to watch, but it's also really challenging to solve. That's so, actually a really good one. Yeah, yeah not to mention because of it being timed. I feel like the sure. ones that are timed are the ones that are the most stressful to go through. Oh, yeah, you really have to trust on each other's like wittiness. Because if you have, for example, uh, okay, look, this puzzle is has a timer for the, of course, for packs, so everyone has a chance to play. But in real life, when you have the product, you can do as long as you want for this puzzle. We love that because then you can really build this trust with each other and kind of learn how you communicate. But I must say, time puzzles are kind of extra fun because of the yelling and the shouting. It gives an extra layer, you know. It is fun. I have heard that it has helped to build relationships, and I've heard it's helped to, yeah. unfortunately, break relationships. Yeah, ruining relationships since 2017, so. <laughs> you actually have shirts that says that, so. Yeah, 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 yeah. Very it's, nice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you I don't know if you should be proud of that, but it's good to own it. Yeah, well, we do. But we also, like, we also have, the, um, for example, for uh, Valentine's Day, we had a, a little thing, and it was called... Uh, creating couples since 2017 because not only did we maybe somewhere along the line ruin a relationship or two we also brought a lot of people together there's actually people who are long lost friends that finally started talking there are family members that couldn't see each other that could during the pandemic for example but also right. people who really became couples because they were playing with here together or like um, did a matchmaking uh, to the internet liked it so much to play together that they actually looked each other up afterwards and started dating. We literally today had a couple who had that. And that is really rewarding to hear the story of those people. That is un that is fantastic. But it's really the cherry on top of everything that you brought <laughs> actually brought people together. That's like the best thing ever. So Absolutely, absolutely. Now I noticed that it's coming out next month to um, yeah, consoles soon. and PC, Epic Games, Steam. Um, for those who are new to We Were Here, what are you hoping that they will get out of the overall experience? Oh, mostly that they have the feeling that they finally had something again that they could do with someone they really want to be with. That is the most important thing, is that we design this experience that someone has a journey with a specific person. We always encourage that you play the game, the whole game with one person, because it is a really a journey from start to end and we think that you have the best outcome of the game if you undergo that whole journey with this one specific person it could be anyone but i really hope to give that to people who start playing from we wear forever that they feel like they had done something together and that it feels rewarding helping each other from the beginning till the end Thank you so much for joining me here on B3 Crew. For more information on We Were Here Forever and the other games in the series, where can our listeners find out more information? Well, we have a website called playwewerehere.com, and you can find everything you need to know about the upcoming game, but also everything you need to know about the past games. For example, We Were Here is free on Steam, so if you are a PC player, then you can just try it out for free and have a look if, you, so if the concept is something for you. And we have one other fun thing, is that from, uh, I think, a month ago until the game launches, we have a, a little series, a live-action series, called Chronicles of Castle Rock, which is especially very fun for people who are playing since the first game, because they 
the storyteller reveals like a lot of background information about what happened in Castle Rock and how actually the castle landed in the Antarctic. So if you're a fan, that's perfect for you. Awesome. Again, thank you so much for joining me here on Boston Bash. Hey, best of luck with the rest of Paxis and good luck with the launch of We Were Here Forever next month. Thank you very much. Early in the morning, where they used to be asleep. As a tiny business late, don't let the cattails fool you. Down in the bottom, when nothing is born, sleeps a silver dollar. The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles are back with a brand new video game called Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Shredder's Revenge, a beautiful homage to those classic arcade games from the 80s. And I am joined here by Eric and... Crap, I forgot your name. Fred. <laughs> Fred. Eric and Fred from Tribute Games, who have developed this beauty. Welcome to Boston Bash Brigade. How are you guys doing today? I'm doing amazing, We're man. We're doing amazing. Oh, overwhelmed. Yes, so how, first off, you've been showing this off at PAX East this entire weekend. How has the feedback been from the people who have played it thus far? You know, we've spent the last two years mostly working from home, from our basements and everything, and this is the first public showing for the game we have. And to be honest, like, it's overwhelming. Like, people are very happy with the game. Like, the fans are, like, like the lineups have been stopped for the whole day. I think it's just a crazy week so far. So much love. There's so much hype. It's unbelievable. Crazy. Now, as I mentioned, this is kind of a spiritual successor to the classic arcade games, uh, the first Ninja Turtles one, and then Turtles in Time. How important was it for you guys to capture that same magic from those classic titles? I mean, for us, uh, it's, it's like we did all of this work 30 years ago when we were seven years old, you know, <laughs> playing the games, enjoying the show, having fun with the toys. So for us, it was really about just jumping back and getting back to that era and try to recapture the same spirit. And to answer your question, it's not important. It's the whole basis of what we're doing. It's <laughs> just an homage. It's a love letter. It's exactly what we wanted to do. Like to take back that whole experience and doing it today. So I take it like when you played like the old games, you were like, hey, you know what would be cool if they did this? And like, oh wait, now we can do that in this version. Yeah, exactly. Some. One of the things at Tribute Games that we really work hard on is trying to make the game as good as you remember them, but not exactly as they were back in the days. Because when you replay some of these games, sometimes they feel a bit more stiff. They feel like it's like out of controls or not right or whatever. So we really try to go and surf on that memory and then bring, you know, as you said, make it possible to do all of these wild things that you would have wanted to do and see all of the crazy scenarios that the that the girls should face. And I feel like you guys really succeeded very well in that. Thank because you. Well, not, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thanks a lot. Because I, because not only do you have that classic arcade feel to it, you, you bring something new to the table. You got new power, powerful moves and special attacks you can do. You got team attacks. Yes. We've got uh, pizza parties for people to fully enjoy, fill, get refilled their health and all that stuff. Yeah. So one of the first things that we we did we knew from day one is that this game had to be like really multiplayer focus you know this is how the player the people remember the game you know playing with four friends uh, in the arcades and such so for us it was like important to make it even better by just adding all of these little things like you said the team attacks adding like the the, the hell share so now we also have revive mechanics now so you don't necessarily lose a life when you get uh, when you get knocked down so all of these little things were super important but also the 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 
the replay value in having uh, six different characters. So we didn't want it to have just like them, like being color swapped and changing the weapons. No, we want them to all play and feel different too. So they all have their personality. Every end of a combo will be different for a character to another. The specials, the special attacks are all different. I mean, there's there's so much love and so much work in this. And I'm, I'm glad you're seeing all of that work. And, uh, <laughs> yes. Your smile, I see your smile through your mask. <laughs> and it's awesome. We're really glad that you like Absolutely. It. I am smiling because I, when I was a little kid, I used to go to the, my local Papa Gino's after ordering the pizza, waiting for the pizza, going up to that Ninja Turtles arcade game, putting in as many quarters as I could before that pizza arrived. <laughs> I got that feeling again today while playing this demo. Amazing. That's exactly what we wanted to do. Like, this is... Like for us, that's the dream game, like the, the, the dream sequel that we should have had that finally we are actually making today. So, so tell, tell us a little bit about, because there is a story aspect to this one, and it's not just April O'Neil gets kidnapped again. And you can actually play as April and Splinter, I believe, as well in there. Exactly. She doesn't need saving yeah, anymore. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> She's been hanging out with the turtles for a while, so for us it just made sense you know, that she knows how to fight. But yeah, so the game comes with two modes. You have the arcade mode, which is basically the same thing as you remember, where you, de you destroy 200 bad guys, you get an extra an extra life to keep on going until you, you beat the game in one uh, in one sitting. But we also have a story mode, which is a bit slower paced for the players that want to, want to get more replay value. So basically on this mode, you unlock each stages one after the other, and it's uh, they are all laid out on a map of New York City. And basically you can go, uh, go back, replay stages and everything, and we added some sort of a soft leveling up system where the turtles have power levels. So uh, as you play, the more and more uh, you get more HP points, uh, you get extra ninja power bar that helps you perform the special moves, and you unlock the, 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 the different special moves in a different way there, uh, but uh, by leveling up. And we also added like cameos from the show in there that so people are asking you to do complete side tasks for them. You also have like challenges to complete for these levels. So it's more like a fleshed out experience for someone. Uh, maybe who plays single player, but you could still play it online or offline with four, up to four players for sure. So it's yeah. really up to you. All right, so you mentioned cameo, so I have to ask, will we run into Usagi Ojimbo in the game? <laughs> I mean, uh, we, we don't want to reveal our secret, uh, secrets right now. <laughs> I think uh, we offer like a good glimpse of everything, but yeah, I mean, we have plenty of characters from the TV show that are going to be there. Uh, we don't want to spoil everything yet, but uh, I'm pretty sure fans will be happy to see what we got from them. Awesome, awesome. Ca casual, fa casual fans of the Turtles, up to like connoisseurs, aficionados, toy collectors, they'll find something for them. So yeah. that game, you know, will please everyone. I'm pretty sure of it. So what has to have been your favorite part about making Shredder's Revenge? Oh, I think like picking up all of the, the characters we wanted to have in the games, you know? When we started, we did the design and everything, and at one point we asked, so, okay, who's in? And at this point, it was all about, you know, we were watching all of the cartoons, uh, making, like, trying to figure out who, who has never been showcased in the video game and who has to be there because they're fans' favorite. So I think this was pretty cool. You know, it was a lot of back and forth and, uh, and uh, not, uh, not fighting between each other, but, you know, we, because we have over 20 bosses in the game and 30 different types of enemies, so there's still a lot of things, but... Uh, like making decisions was the, the the best part for it. So and see, seeing those decisions like arrive on screen and being able to play with what we talked about, also seeing like the launch trailer, you know the uh, 
Like when reception we reception for it. Yeah, yeah the reception yeah. like of the uh, of the uh, reveal for Splinter, stuff like that, and you see how people are hyped. That is amazing. Also, since Tribute is a really small team, we're about 18, 19, yeah, you know. Yeah. So everybody chips in at one point or another. Or there's a discussion, hey, what should that character do in that instance or whatever. And, you know, sometimes it can be our, our CFO or uh, our HR manager that, that comes up with the, the greatest idea ever. And our game designer goes, yes, yeah, that's sold, it. that's it. So that's it's kind of a family effort. And yeah. that's what Tribute is. Right, and I believe you guys have been around for for quite a quite a little while, uh, working on other towns before this. But I have to ask, like this journey towards making a game like Revenge, like what do you feel has been like the most important thing you've learned about your current journey in video game development? Oh, I mean, I've been in the video game industry for a while, and I worked on many. You know, at this point, like I've been almost 20 years now, and I always said that I'm not, you know. I'm not going in for the career, but I'm going in them for like the, the projects and the titles and everything. And when we started at Tribute, like I was helping out the guys with uh, Pinsir Paladin, uh, which was a, an amazing title. And we were going for something else that was quite as cool. But uh, as soon as we were starting, like the uh, the TMNT uh, opportunity happened because they, they 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 were in talks for a while, you know, trying to. Uh, be able to work on the on the license and then Datimu came in and also did the same on their side mm. and basically like Nickelodeon was like okay you you are two studios you know that that know their, their things you know you you know how to make retro games feel cool today like Datimu with Streets of Rage 4 of course mm. so they were like okay you guys should do it together and we just did, and we just did I mean they, they we we were both share the same love so it was just a match made in heaven Awesome. And being able to actually deliver such a game like this uh, today, like a game that I would have wanted to do, like when I was seven years old, you know, loving the turtles and thinking about, yeah, do I want to make video games in life or whatever? I mean, this is exactly, this is something that would have blown my mind for sure. Absolutely. There's a lot of tribute in that game, a lot of like small references, Easter eggs here and there. So, also, the old school tribute games fan will see a lot of tribute in this. So awesome. So I guess for my final question, I mean, you don't really need to convince our listeners to play a game like Splinter's Revenge. I feel like what you've been showcasing so far, it's like, all right, you've already convinced us. But maybe the final question I should ask is, what will make Splinter's Revenge the ultimate Ninja Turtles video game experience? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, we still have some surprises left, for sure. But, I mean... This is the ultimate multiplayer party experience for sure. Yeah. Jump in, jump out at any time, whether whether you're online, uh, whether you're with friends on the couch. You want to mix both, two friends you know, at home, two friends uh, overseas, that's possible. I mean, this whole game is meant to be like about sharing the turtle power love. So I think the, as soon as you touch it, I think you get it. Awesome. It's either your couch or your virtual couch. It's the friends <laughs> you play with. That is... It's a canvas for you. It's a canvas for fun. It's up to you and your friends. Pick up the controller. Have fun. And eat pizza. <laughs> yeah. Eat pizza, yeah. Yes, pizza. eat pizza. Pizza. Yeah, pizza power. For those who remember the Ninja Turtles rock yeah, exactly. album back then. <laughs> pizza power. <laughs> I won't sing it. Oh, yeah. yeah, I won't sing it either. But guys, thank you so much for joining me here on Boston Bears Brigade. Uh, Ninja Turtles, Shredder's Revenge. 
2022 release? This summer. Summer. Really soon. Awesome, guys. Thank you once again. Uh, Best of luck with PAX East. This is looking phenomenal. I cannot wait to see what the full game has in store for me.